2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 8. Paul here, as he writes to Timothy, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But he says, the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You notice there that as Paul is expressing his thoughts, he makes mention of the fact that he is currently imprisoned, that he is bound because of his attempts to preach the truth. But he makes a very interesting statement in light of that context. There in verse 9, he says, The word of God is not chained. Even though I might be chained to this wall, there is nothing that can stop the power of the word of God and its influence. And I was thinking about that concept and I thought it would be an interesting study for us to think about some of the chains, if you will, that might at times hinder us and how we should deal with those chains in such a way that we recognize that even despite some of these things that might hinder us, God's word is yet unchained and we can still be at work for God despite difficult circumstances. And so I borrowed the title of our lesson from a popular song that I'm sure most of you have heard before, Unchained Melody. The idea here that even though we might be chained in some sense, the melody of the gospel and the mission for which we have been called, the mission for which Jesus died, uh, can remain unhindered. And so what chains may hinder our faith at times? As I first started to think about this concept, I was thinking about things that sometimes hinder us from being here at services when we come together to worship and to admonish one another. And obviously the first thing that I thought of in light of that context was sickness. Sometimes we're hindered because of our physical ailments, our different kinds of things that might be going on with these physical bodies that prevent us from being able to do the things that we might like to be doing. And obviously as Christians, what should be at the top of that list would be spending time with the saints praising God and giving him the honor that is due. And so when we're hindered by sickness, and of course this isn't isolated to just the worship services, sometimes we're hindered in a much broader sense because of sickness that is persistent in our lives. How should we approach that in such a way so as to still be effective in the kingdom? Well, the first thing is we need to Trust in God. 
when sickness comes our way, we can't just say, well, where's God? And say, well, I'm going to give up on my faith because clearly he doesn't care because he's allowed this terrible thing to befall me. That's not faith and that's not trust. And that's a gross misunderstanding, to be blunt, of what the Bible tells us about sickness and the terrible things that exist in this world and the source of those things. We know that those things don't come from God, but rather are the result of sin as influenced to be committed by our great adversary, the devil. And so when we're sick, we need to first and foremost keep our trust in God. We have an example of that back in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah refers to the king Hezekiah. And it was told, as we're going to read here, to him by the prophet, as the message was relayed to the prophet by God, that his days were numbered, more or less. And we see how he reacts to that here. Isaiah 38 and verse 1. It says, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. We find that Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. Notice he prayed to the Lord. And he said, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. And I have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord then came to Isaiah. And it said, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And surely I will add to your days 15 years. And so we see an example here of somebody who had been sick. But then he gets the news that, you know, you're not going to live much longer. Your time has come. And rather than blame God or turn his back on God, rather he he embraces his God and he goes to him in prayer. And we see that God is merciful to him as a result. In sickness, we also need to learn to praise God. And that can seem like a maybe backwards way of thinking because when you're sick, you don't feel good. You don't feel like being positive. You don't feel like smiling. You feel like doing just the opposite, right? You just want to sit and oftentimes we want to feel sorry for ourselves and we want others to feel sorry for us. But the word of God likewise gives us instruction about When we are given these thorns in the flesh, if you will, to borrow the language of Paul, that we need to learn to rejoice in these things and use these times of weakness as a means of demonstrating a stronger faith. We can be a very powerful example to those around us, especially when we're perceived as weak or we have some kind of hindrance. When we despite that hindrance, keep our faith and praise God, even in the midst of that storm, others see that. And that's a powerful example to them, for them to say, well, what is, what does this guy have figured out? You know, what is so good in his life that despite this 
terrible circumstance, he's still able to have a smile and to speak uh, positively about God and about his faith. That, that will draw people in to God, you see. And we see an example of that with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking here about how God obviously had blessed him with an abundance of revelations through the Spirit, had inspired him in a number of ways. But he says in verse 7 there, lest I should be exalted above measure by this abundance that I'd been given spiritually. He says this thorn in the flesh was given to me. He describes it as a messenger of Satan that had been sent to buffet him. Again, lest I be exalted, he says, above measure. Notice concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So he did the same thing that Hezekiah had done. He went and he prayed to God. But in regards to Paul, we find that God's response was different. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so when Paul received that answer, we might expect, if we think about the average human being, we might think, well, maybe there'd be some sorrow then or some depression. Well, I asked God and he said, no, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. We might be kind of bummed out about that kind of an answer. But notice he says, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. He says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches when I have needs, when I'm persecuted, when I'm in distress. He says, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so again, oftentimes the most powerful example to others around us of what faith is happens when we are going through perhaps some of our darkest hours. What about work? That's another one that immediately came to my mind, again, in the context of the assembly. Sometimes we're hindered from assembling because... We have to work at our secular jobs. And that can be, that can be a hindrance or a chain, if you will, to our faith because it can be kind of depressing, right? We get, we get down because, well, it seems like they just keep scheduling me when I tell them not to and, and I miss being with the saints. And sometimes, of course, work just in general can drag us down because of the environment, the people that maybe we have to work with who are not interested in God or they're not interested in our faith. Maybe when we try and talk about those things, we're ridiculed or put down. And so we can be disheartened. And so how can we, despite these chains, again, allow this melody of our faith to ring forth? Well, first of all, we need to remember who it is we're working for. We all have different employers. Maybe some of us work at the same place, but uh, we work for different people. Our bosses change even within the different organizations that we work within. But in the scriptures, we're reminded of the fact that despite 
who we might be reporting to on paper and what company we might be employed by, that we're ultimately working for somebody that transcends all of that. Notice what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He writes here to bond servants, which we might make a equivalency to as employees. He says, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, and do so with fear and with trembling, and do so with sincerity of heart, as notice to Christ. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but again as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so we we learn something very powerful here, don't we? That our attitude needs to be, as we go and are about our daily work, that we consider ourselves working for the Lord. We know that if we are somebody who works in a factory creating paintbrushes, to borrow, maybe we think about the Worcester Brush Company here in town, maybe if that's where you work, we know that scriptures don't say anything about making paintbrushes, right? But the point is that our attitude needs to be that as we go about those duties that we're not thinking about working for Bob Jones or whoever our boss is, we're thinking about Jesus. And would he be pleased with my attitude here and the way I conduct myself and the way that I treat my fellow employees, the way I treat my physical employers? You know, do I try and cheat the system? And when the boss isn't around, well, I'm just going to kind of take it easy today because there's nobody to pay attention to what I'm doing. So I'm just going to kind of sit back and I'll just kind of shirk my responsibilities. You know, sometimes we can get into that kind of a mindset, especially when maybe we're a little upset with the boss because, you know, he keeps scheduling me on Sundays. And so this is my way to get back at him. Right. But Paul says that's not the attitude that we need to have. We need to remember that we are working for the Lord, that everything that we say and do in life is ultimately in service to God. And secondly, we need to learn to be patient. We have a great example as we look to Christ of suffering patiently. And that's the point that Peter is making here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, as you read past verse 20, which is where we're going to actually end our reading, but he goes on to make the larger point that what he's talking about in verses 18 through 20 is what we see exemplified in Jesus Christ. And what is this example? What is this pattern that he sets? Well, notice again, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And notice not only to the good and the gentle, You know, it's easy to do a good job for somebody who treats you well and pays you well. But he says also, have this same attitude towards those that might be harsh. Those that don't treat you well, that schedule you when you don't want to be scheduled and don't pay attention to your needs and these kinds of things. He says this is a, uh, this is commendable, verse 19. It is because of conscience toward God that one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? If you have it coming, you did something wrong, and you're receiving now the 
just consequence and you're, well, I'm going to be patient about this and I'm just, well, good, but that, that's what you deserve, right? But when you do good and you suffer and you still take it patiently, he says, this is commendable before God. <clears throat> and so we continue to trust in God. We continue to look for opportunities, perhaps. Maybe we get ourselves into a job where we're hindered. Uh, we're chained, if you will. This is really hard for us in regards to our faith and our optimism. You know, we keep trusting in God. We keep praying. And if the situation that we're in doesn't improve, I guarantee God will open another door for you and allow you a means to get into a better situation. We have to trust always in the Lord, but we have to be patient in the process sometimes. What about the chains of tragedy? We all face tragic events from time to time, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of something that was precious to us. We go through things that that shake us. And sometimes we can allow that tragedy to, to hinder our faith in God. And especially as we think about tragedy, I, I think it's important that we talk about the importance of placing blame appropriately. We had alluded to this earlier and made some comments, but we need to recognize that Bad things happen because of not God, but Satan. And we can trace that all the way back to the beginning. And Jesus kind of talks about that here in John chapter 8, and verse 44. He's rebuking certain of the Jews on this occasion, but as he does so, he adds some commentary about the devil. And so he says, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And speaking of Satan, he says he was, notice, a murderer from the beginning. That's what Satan does, is he kills. He separates. And he did so even clear back from the beginning of time. You go back to Genesis. You read there in chapter 3 and what happens. He lies. He manipulates. And through that deceit, he causes mankind to transgress the laws of God and to usher in the consequences that had been foretold as a result. He does not stand in the truth, Jesus says, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and he is the father of it. Powerful example of this point is the book of Job. You go and you study the book of Job and you see all the things that befell Job. And who caused all that? It wasn't God. It was Satan, wasn't it? And to Job's credit, of course, he refused to curse God and die, as his wife had suggested. Despite all the suffering he was enduring, all the tragedy that had occurred in his life, He said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And once he got through that season, you read there at the end of the book how all of what he had lost was restored to him. 
and even more than what he had had at the beginning. That's a powerful commentary on our journey of faith as well. Even if in this life we don't ever receive an abundance of riches, we will receive an abundance after this life is over if we keep our faith. We also need to learn to rely on God's strength in the midst of tragedy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning there in verse 8, we read, Paul says, we're hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. You ever had things go wrong and you just find yourself perplexed? Why is this happening? I don't understand this. Paul says, yeah, sometimes we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We haven't given up hope. We're persecuted, but we know that we're not forsaken. At times we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also, again, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. A few verses down there in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, he says, these are eternal. And so we see the attitude expressed by Paul, despite all that he faced, all the tragedy that plagued his life as a Christian. He had this attitude because he recognized that God was with him. And if God is with us then truly who can be against us, as he expresses there in Romans 8. You know, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34 and verse 18, says there, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. I always think about that verse when tragedy strikes either myself or someone close to me. The Lord cares and he is near and he is there for us. And so we must continue to trust in him. Sometimes the chains that might be restricting us or challenging our faith are the chains of failure. Who here has failed at something? (laughs) I think Dave won. He had his hand up first. (laughs) We fail at things just in a physical sense. Uh, earthly things, but we've all failed spiritually for sure, haven't we? Romans 3 and 23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes when we fail, we can, we can lose heart. We can become depressed. We can become defeated. We focus only on how badly we've messed things up and we, we let that be 
uh, the only thing that uh, is focused on in our thoughts. And before long, we, we find ourselves maybe not reading as much, not praying as much. We start missing when it comes to services because we just feel bad about perhaps something that we've done. Well, what should we do when those chains are upon us? Well, we need to get back up, first and foremost. We can't wallow in misery. We have to go to God with a repentant heart, ask for forgiveness, and then we need to press on. I think David is a powerful example of that. We go back to Psalm 51, a psalm that he wrote through inspiration, of course, but Shortly after the events that took place in regards to Bathsheba, after he had taken her and committed adultery with her, he tried to cover that up. He ended up putting her husband to death on the front lines of battle to try and keep everything under wraps, to keep nobody from finding out what had happened. Ultimately, he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, you recall, and Nathan says, look, you've sinned. You've you've sinned badly. And David, in that context, you recall, doesn't deny it. He doesn't try and further reason himself out of it, but he rather acknowledges immediately and, and he asks for forgiveness. And we see here that same penitent heart expressed in this 51st Psalm. We're going to read, first of all, the first four verses here. And he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And, you know, that's true of when we, when we sin, we don't forget about that very easily, do we? It's, it's always there in the back of our mind. And, In some senses, that's good because we need to remember where we've fallen so we don't do it again. But we can't dwell on it so much that it it dissolves our faith. He says in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, he was acknowledging that there was no fault on God's part here, but this was all on him. And so we need to acknowledge our sin, sure. But one of the other things I think is very important in regards to our failures is being able to use the experience that we gain from those failures to help other people. You know, sometimes we go through something and at the time we can't understand why in the world did I go through that? Why did that happen to me? But as you go on down through your life, you find that you encounter other people who are going through the same situation, who are facing the same temptations or facing the same kind of tragedy that you faced. And suddenly now you have an opportunity to be someone who can sympathize with where they're at. And you can be a very powerful influence in helping them to overcome that same thing that you had to endure. We can help each other. And we see that same thing likewise expressed here in the same psalm, Psalm 51. And jumping down to verse 12, notice he says there, Rejoice, or restore rather, to me the joy 
of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then notice what he says he's going to do once he receives that forgiveness and and begins to move on. He says, I'm going to teach the transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. And so, again, sometimes in the midst of things, we we have a hard time understanding. We're perplexed, again, to borrow the language that Paul used. But further down the road, we, we find that those experiences oftentimes are of great benefit uh, to those around us in our lives who we can help and strengthen. Now, the final thing on our list this morning might be unexpected. The chains of blessings you might say, well, now, hold on. Now, how is that a chain? You know, blessings are something we want. Blessings are something we look forward to. But, you know, sometimes I think if we're honest When we're very blessed, that can become a hindrance to our faith because you know what can happen when we're very blessed? We can start trusting in those blessings. And we can start putting so much trust and faith in those things that we start to think, well, maybe I don't need God as much. Maybe I don't really need to pray as much. I don't really need to study as much because, you know, I've kind of got this under control. We look at everything I've got going my way. You know, we start to think about uh, those standards that the world would put up on a list of, well, as long as you got these things checked off, you're doing pretty good. You know, you got a house, you got cars, you got some money in the bank, you got food and clothing, and you got money for entertaining yourselves throughout the week. Well, then you, you're, you're doing well. You don't really need to worry about things. And sometimes those blessings can distract us. You know, think about the parable of the sower and the thorns that grew up on some of the plants that begin to grow as that seed had been spread and talks about how they choked out that good plant. We need to remember that this world is not our home. First Timothy chapter six and verse six, Paul is writing there about earthly things and how our attitude needs to be towards those things. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Doesn't matter how rich we become over the course of this life. None of that is going to have any kind of effect on our soul. It's not like when we transition out of this life to the next, we can point back to the mansion that we had or the nice car or the bank account that we had accumulated and say, but God, I had all these things. So doesn't that count for something? We need to exercise godliness with contentment, with sobriety, if you will. Notice what Paul expresses here in Philippians 3, verse 18, beginning. He says, many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. And what was the primary problem as he describes it here? He says their God, notice the lowercase there, 
This isn't talking about the God. This is talking about their God. And what is it? He says it's their belly. In other words, it's their appetite, their fleshly appetite. That's what's become their God. And whose glory is in their shame. They set their mind, notice, on earthly things. When we do that, we become an enemy of God. Maybe we don't think about it that way, but that's the way that it's described because, remember, Jesus said we can't serve two masters. We can't have it both ways. We have to have our allegiance placed firmly upon one or the other. And he reminds us in verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in a much greater kingdom than any of the kingdoms that exist here on this earth. And secondly, in regards to the chains of blessings, we need to overcome that by learning to bless others. When we are very blessed, then we need to look for ways that we can use those blessings to help other people. That's that's what love is all about, is looking for how we can help each other. And if I have a lot, then I need to learn how to share that with with you. We go back to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. And there Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant nor to trust in uncertain riches. Let their trust be in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, he says, that they would be rich in good works, ready to give, willing Notice, to share. And as we do that, what are we doing? He says they're storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I'm sure if we continued to think about it, we could come up with other examples of things that might at times chain our faith or be a hindrance to it. But I hope that the time that we've spent together this morning and the examples that we've noted have been a benefit to you and will be as you go through the days ahead. We're going to close this morning by reading Psalm 146, starting in verse 5, and we'll read down through verse 9. It says here, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord, notice, gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over. The strangers, he relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. We keep our faith in God, no matter what comes our way, we can allow the, again,
to borrow the reference to our title, we can allow that melody of truth and of the gospel to ring forth into the ears of those round about us. This morning, if you're here and you recognize a deficiency in your life in regards to spiritual matters, perhaps you've never put on Christ in baptism, perhaps you're a Christian who's wandered astray, perhaps you're dealing with some of the things we've talked about this morning and you would like prayers, we would love to pray with you. If you've uh, obviously never been baptized, we will help help you in that regards. We have water prepared here behind me. And so whatever your need is, we, we stand ready to assist you, and we would just ask that you would let us know about those things by coming up to the front at this time while we stand and while we sing.